You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Over the last few days, I've been doing some introspective reflection thinking and also philosophizing. So I thought to myself, I need to... I need to offload these thoughts on somebody. And there were various candidates, but the one that came out at the top was Chris Gilmore, who's speaking to us from the top of Scotland. And he's an independent financial analyst. Chris, have you got a pencil and paper? Because I want you to write a couple of notes down after my very long introduction, which is coming up in a moment. Okay. Let me tell you about my first philosophication, if that's a word. Probably not, actually. But anyway, the George Floyd case. If it weren't a jury-led trial, and if it was just a judge, and I was the judge... I'd say to myself, this is pr- this is pretty simple. This chap, okay, he may have had some uh, evidence of illegal drugs in his system. He may have had a pre-existing heart condition, an atrial fibrillation or whatever it was. But if he was walking down the street with both of those things, he'd still be at home now with his family and friends. If he hadn't have been accosted by a brutal policeman and had his neck sat upon uh, for nine minutes and 29 seconds. So it's an open and shut case. He's died because someone sat on his neck for nearly 10 minutes. So that's easy. Uh, So that's my simple logical thinking when it came to that. Then the number two philosophy was the European Super League, Football Super League, so-called. And I thought, wait a second. In Britain, we invented football, and it was embraced by the masses. It was embraced by mainly the working classes to start with anyway, and it's part of our lives. It's part of the fabric of British society, just like a pub is, for example. Uh, So you can't take 12 clubs and play each other like the Harlem Globetrotters. I mean, this is not a circus. This is not some kind of little fantasy league. This This is real life, and you take real life away, and people revolt, and of course the fans revolted. So I said, in a couple of podcasts over the last two, three days, I said, it's not going to happen. It's going to collapse. And of course, I was right again. So I've been right twice. Now, this is where you have to be right, Chris. And that is to do with people generally getting out of lockdown. I mean, for example, in the Netherlands, where I currently reside, on the 28th, which is next Wednesday, lockdown starts to unwind. In other words, I can go to a pub or a restaurant terrace between noon and 6pm, which is a good start. I can go to a so-called non-essential shop and actually go and buy a duvet cover or a broom or something like that without having to do it online and wait at home and wait for the bell to ring and all that sort of thing, which I find occasionally slightly irritating. So I look at Netflix's numbers last night and I say, what does this mean, our change of habits that we've become used to for the last 13, 14 months? What does it mean for the winners and the losers on the various stock exchanges around the world? And to me, it's going to be key to the short-term performance of fund managers and independents like you. Gosh, that was a long introduction. Off you go. Give me some (laughs) comments, first of all. Okay, so we do that in in the order in which you gave them to me. Mm. Yes, please. Okay, well, let's take the George Floyd one, first of all. I've watched that fairly closely over the past uh, couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, I have to admit, um, you know, look, I think the the defence put up a a fairly... How can I put it? This guy, Nelson, put up as good a defence as he he possibly could. Mm. But, you know, here you are. This this whole thing was caught on camera. And it, uh, it just highlighted what, what I think the black community in America, which is, you know, a fairly vocal minority. It's, it, it constitutes about 12% of the American population, but it is a minority. Um, they've been oppressed for a long, long time. And I think they've, they've rightly said, listen, enough now. We're just, 
really, really had enough. And I watched last night as the Reverend Al Sharpton, you know, who's a bit of a, an activist. And he said, you know, we were just praying. We were just hoping that this jury was going to come out with what we thought was the right decision. And they came out with what I think really was the right decision. I, I can't imagine there was any other decision they could possibly have come to. Quite right. But having said that, yes. you know, um, I think if, if you are a member of the black community, yeah, you rightly feel aggrieved at the kind of nonsense that's been going on for many years, if not decades, um, you know, with white cops particularly, just shooting with gay abandon and, and, uh, and not worrying about the consequences. Now, this fellow Chauvin, um, you know, I mean, here he was. He was picking uh, bits of, of gravel out of his tires as he was slowly strangling this guy to death. I mean, it was just the impunity with which he did this. It was, it was actually quite disgusting. So I, have, I don't have the slightest bit of sympathy for him. He's, um, I hope the longer he goes away, the better. And um, threw away the key, frankly. Yes, so, the, the, um, the result is very is, is obviously incredibly important and could be a turning point in American social history, and hopefully it will be. But uh, the, the point is that this was logical, simple thinking. It was an open and yeah. shut case, and although a yes. jury was necessary in this in the American legal system, the fact is that I had absolutely no doubt, having watched that very distressing footage, that that was what was going to happen. Now let's have a look at the Super League, which is which is frivolous in comparison to what we've just spoken about but nonetheless incredibly important for millions tens even hundreds of millions of of people tell me about the super league well uh, unless there's some really bad reporting going on with this whole thing i i seem to have got got it badly wrong i see this morning that the the, the, the all the english teams have pulled out and um the i've forgotten what this this uh, very prominent uh, european chap he said it's all but over it's not going to happen now yes and so it didn't really last very long um but but again lindsay just correct me if i'm wrong uh, what was going to happen as far as i could see is you had 12 teams and they were going to play each other but they were going to remain in their respective leagues so they for wanted example, to these english premier mm. Say again, sorry? As I said, they wanted to stay in their respective leaves, uh, leagues, ah. but we'll come to that uh, later on. But anyway, carry okay. on with your comments, please. Sorry so, to interrupt. So, so, Okay, so the plan was, from what I could discern, is that they were going to play their European games midweek and they were going to play their English Premier League games uh, at, at the weekend. Is, is that correct? Exactly correct, yes, which is unfeasible, oh, okay. of course. Yeah, I can't imagine how they would have um, managed to have, have, have coped with all of that. I mean, that's that is that's, that's kind of taxing, isn't it? I mean, that would have taken an awful lot out of the players, uh, I would have thought. It would have done. And as I said in my introduction, it was also like the Harlem Globetrotters. The Harlem Globetrotters. Crossers are great entertainers, but they they don't actually they don't actually play in a basketball league. They just do exhibition matches, and this to me was just yes. some kind of circus, an exhibition match. I mean, if you're if you're Arsenal or Tottenham Hotspurs, not particularly good clubs at the moment, you're playing Barcelona every three or four weeks or something. It takes away the magic of playing them once a year if you happen to get to the UEFA Champions League. So I knew yes. I knew as a football supporter myself, my passions were inflamed by what I what I saw and I. I knew that people would uh, be up in arms about this. And of course, that's happened. Player power uh, and fan power have, have beaten the rich owners, mainly American, I have to say. And um, everybody suddenly caved in, which is very good. Anyway, good, logical, simple thinking. It's out the window. It's gone. And it's um, it was a, a brief moment. I mean, a very entertaining 48 hours. Now, let's get to the more important things now in some people's eyes anyway, uh, Netflix. Their numbers came out last night. 
their numbers came out and they weren't as good as possible. They're still good numbers. Let's not forget about that. But uh, they weren't as good as expected. Now, what is going to happen over the next year? I mean, am I going to change my habits? I've become an agrophobe. I've, I've started ordering more stuff online. Do I go out on Wednesday in the Netherlands and suddenly say, right, that's it. I'm going down the shops and going down the pub and I'm going to sit on the terrace and go and buy a duvet cover. And if so, what does that mean for companies like Netflix and for retailers? It's a fascinating story. And if you get it right, you're going to get it very right. Yeah, it's a very good question. Okay. And to a certain extent, you are going to see the attraction of companies like Netflix being a little bit diluted. And I, I do hasten to say a little bit because it's not going to be a huge um, ch sea change here. People have, have, have gone for the likes of Netflix and stuff like that in a, in a very, very big way. In other words, they, they've changed their habits to, to quite a large extent. And that isn't going to change overnight. And provided Netflix can keep up with content, and that, of course, is key to all of this. And that's the, that's the really difficult part. It's because don't bear in mind, I'm sorry, bear in mind that um, that content, if you can if you can give people what they want, when they want, and, and how they want it delivered uh, all the time. Now, look, take me, for example. I would be a very difficult Netflix customer. Go on. I'm not interested in Netflix. Frankly, I think most of the stuff they, 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 they have here is ephemeral crap. Can I say that on TV? <laughs> of course, you can um, say what you like. But um, what, do you, uh, what do you mean? I mean, I mean really, when you I, say most of it, I mean, I, I found some I, Netflix I, I series I, being I, actually I, I really, really good quality stuff, produced beautifully, written beautifully, uh, and um, it, it's injected an awful lot of um, creativity into the whole media system, the, the entertainment media uh, system. But you're obviously not a fan. Well, you see, I flick through most of the catalogs and I look and I think, what, what is this? What a what on earth is that? Good grief. Why are they? And, and I, I, I watch some of the stuff and I think, why on earth did they make this rubbish? It's ghastly. Yes. So, for example, I, I'm the sort of person who wants to be able, when I feel um, the, the desire to actually watch something like Pop Fiction, for example. Right. Which I love. I mean, I love Quentin Tarantino's movies. When, when they first came out, I hated them. I thought they were bloody dreadful. However, now I think they're fantastic in retrospect. Reservoir Dogs. Um, true romance, stuff like that, great. Try finding them on lots of these things like Amazon Prime and stuff like that. You can find some of them, but you can't find all of them. Casablanca, 1941, I think it was, with um, Humphrey Bogart. Yes. That, this time, all these real classics. I want to be able to find something where I can say, right, I just tap it in, I want it. If I have to pay extra for it, I don't mind. I just want it. Do you understand what I'm saying? £3.99 is, is, is the usual price, cheap. isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean you're, you're, you're probably be watch the, watch the pennies because of your heritage. <laughs> it's, probably, <laughs> it's, it's probably about £3.99 to get Casablanca, I would have thought, on Amazon Prime. Well, you see, some of these things, Lindsay, you can't actually find them for love and money. They, they don't exist, okay? So that's what I'm saying. This is what I, what I keep coming back to about content. If you have Infinite content, yes. and nobody has got infinite content, then that's fine. That's what I want. I want infinite content, but I'm not finding it anywhere. I'm not finding it at Netflix, not finding it at Amazon, not finding it on Now TV. Um, so I just wonder if and where it is. Strangely enough, I mean, if you go onto YouTube, you, you can strike it lucky on occasion and find um, little gems just lying there, free gratis and for nothing. I, I don't know why they're there, but, but they are there every so often. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's a pity. So look, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, I'm digressing a bit. I think they are going to, the likes of Netflix is still going to do well because people have kind of changed their habits. They're not really interested in being 
told what they can have by the 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 existing players. Uh, a lot of the existing players who, who give you the, these kind of streaming things. So um, Netflix will will continue to do well, perhaps not at the same rate as during the pandemic. And much of this is going to depend on um, how how quickly various countries pull out of the pandemic. Um, I mean, Johnson the other day in the UK said, well, we're just going to have to live with COVID to an extent, like we live with the flu. And he's right. I can't, I can't disagree with that. But, you know, if that is the case, and this, this what I'm about to say um, addresses your, your broader concerns, I think, Lindsay. Yes. Um, if, if, that is, if that is correct, then over time, and, and not even the really long term, even in, in the short term, in, in the medium term, we are going to get back to more of what I'd call a normalized situation where the shops are open and governments are going to say, well, you know what? We've really tried hard. We've vaccinated the great majority of our people. We can't actually do any more. So if, if a whole bunch of more people are going to die, well, you know, that's just their fault um, because we can't actually have a complete nanny state for the foreseeable future. Um, and this comes back down to the infection fatality rate of COVID, which is approximately 0.25%. It's about two and a half times the, um, the rate of seasonal flu. We're not, here, we're not talking about um, SARS or MERS or something like that. We're talking about something which is actually readily containable. And it's something that the, the vaccine has got a good handle on. Even a lot of these variants will be handled in, in the extreme cases by the likes of the AstraZeneca and the J&J, never mind the, the, the Pfizer and the Moderna um, uh, vaccines. Have you been vaccinated? So, you have, know, you, have you had yourself vaccinated? I've had the first jab of AstraZeneca. I should get the next one uh, next month sometime. Okay. Next, next month. And you no side so, effects? Uh, yeah, I had a few chills uh, the first night, and that was about it. So no, no big deal. Left arm was a bit sore for a, for a, for a day or two, but that, that was it was no big deal. Mm. So didn't have didn't have any blood clots or anything like that. No. And again, you know, here's this idiot thing that they're, they're talking about: eight people out of seven million have developed blood clots. Well, hello, you know, <laughs> I mean that is not statistically significant, and they have yet to prove a direct causal link between the two. Frankly, I think it's the European regulators getting a bit miffed because they didn't actually um, come out with the um, with any of these vaccines, and they're, they they find themselves in in last position. I think there's also the, the legality the of, the of it as well. I mean, there's a, probably a lot of lawyer vultures uh, circling and saying, "Well, my client just had a, a jab, and he has just had a blood." clot in this system and now he's in intensive care so therefore i'm going to sue you i'm going to sue the hospital for injecting you without telling him and i'm going to sue the company who produced the vaccine uh, because it was uh, untried and untested and all that sort of rubbish i think there's also a legal aspect to this no there is but you know most of the um the drug companies have covered themselves here they've actually got all these kind of no blame um Clauses put into to everything in every country they've been in. And look at America. I mean, the most litigious country on earth. Um, I think if, um, if if this is a real concern, you'd have, you'd have had a massive number of cases mm. already in the courts there by by now. And 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 the fact that you haven't, then you've had so many um, uh, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, of of doses uh, doled out in the states now already, tells you that um, maybe you're not going to get that kind of. Uh, class actions or even individual actions taking place. So, look, I, I think we're, we're getting very close to the end of this, this pandemic. Um, 
and and it, the only thing that's limiting it now is the availability of vaccine. And, you know, I think it, this would have gone a lot faster had it not been for the inability of India to supply an awful lot of these vaccines, notably the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, because they're now having to divert what would have been exported to the likes of the UK, for example, uh, internally, because uh, they've got a massive increase and in, a big spike in, in, in their, their cases locally. So, you know, when that's out of the way, I think you'll get, um, you'll get it back on track. Because the, the rest of the world, you know, outside of the developed world, it's, it's still raging like wildfire in, in many countries. It certainly is. I mean, cases in the in Netherlands, for example, went up 5%, which is not raging. But the fact is, it's still going up, despite the fact that there yeah. is a guarantee from the Mark Rutte, the Prime Minister, to say that by July, every single adult will be inoculated by then or vaccinated uh, by then but we're going off at um, various tangents here we're both guilty mm. of that i'm talking about the, the money M money there's a big pool of money and it's not going to change because free money is out there and uh, the world's economy is growing so people have got money and in yep. fact they may have more money uh, at their disposal than they did 14 15 months ago so you've yes. got all that money where is it going to be allocated? This is so key for asset managers. And even though you're an independent, ah, yes. you'll also be looking at these things. The point is that where do we where do we go? Do we look at luxury goods? I know I noticed that a chap called Bernard Arnault, um, whose family owns forty seven and a half percent of LVMH, the luxury goods company, mm -hmm. is now suddenly, according to certain measures, the richest man in the world. He's not uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos off that perch. But that is, let's call them. Let's call three of them 200 billionaires 200 dollar mm. billionaires which is quite astonishing and the point is which one is going to be up which one is going to be down if you take luxury goods if you take space rockets and electric cars and if you take uh, amazon into account which area of consumer spending is going to do best this is the key question that's this was the whole point of my argument Okay. Well, look, let's take luxury goods first because you raised that. Um, that uh, actually started off back in about oof, June last year, I'd say. It hit rock bottom pretty quickly. It got, it got thumped uh, very heavily uh, in the, at the start of the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, wow, the Chinese really started buying luxury goods big time because they came out of the pandemic very quickly. And they've been the biggest single force behind uh, luxury goods purchases all around the world. Um, especially when they were doing a lot of traveling. Okay, they have, they're not traveling anymore. They're, they're doing it mainly in China. Uh, but if you look at the, um, and LVMH actually provides you with the figures, you look at the kind of um, the, 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 the consumption that is taking place about, about amongst Chinese, it's phenomenal. So the question then is this, is that, is that a, a temporary phenomenon or is it going to continue? I think it's going to continue. You look at those Chinese GDP figures that came out the other day, just absolutely incredible. Yes. Uh, so China has really recovered beautifully. It's not just a, a, a bounce, it's, it's fantastic. And the rest of the world is, is going to play catch up on luxury goods. Uh, and when you get uh, more and more people traveling again, you're going to get the, the, the duty-free or the tax-free situation in the airports um, uh, coming back into, into the swing of things again. And yeah, that'll just keep it going, I think. So luxury goods, I think, is, is an absolute no-brainer. It's doing exceptionally well. LVMH, you know, dwarfs all the others. I mean, Keering and Richemont don't even come into the equation when it comes to the, the sheer physical size of LVMHs. And it's also, I think, I, I would argue, it's probably got the best diversification of all of them. 
Um, you know, they're into drinks. They're into into a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Mm. Um, um, so now, look, I, I I I love this stuff. It's 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 great. Um, it's it's terribly ex- it's terribly expensive. But um, so you're you're the sort of bloke uh, that will go great. down the local pub now that you've opened up again with your Louis Vuitton um, handbag and um, order uh, some Merite Chandon or uh, a glass of Hennessy, uh, Louis Vuitton, well, Moet well, Hennessy. That's to, the LVMH thing, just, of course. No, I, I just got to go and get some Glen Morangy, and that's owned by um, LVMH. Oh, there you go. You know, hmm. yeah, just down the drag, literally. It's fantastic. No, you know, some friends of mine, a um, couple of young African friends of mine, and uh, I, we, we hooked up in Paris a couple of years ago, and one of them went into uh, Galleries Lafayette and bought a pair of sneakers. Yes. And I couldn't believe what he paid for them. How much? VMH sneakers. 800 euro. That's stupid. Sorry. I said, Pumzo, are you mad? Are you insane? He said, no, no. He said, there's method in my madness. I said, tell me, tell me. What what about it? He said, you can't get these for love and money in South Africa. And I said, oh, yeah. So when I get back there, I'm going to sell them for 30,000 rands for the pair. And uh, even though he wore them, he said, no one cares. It's the brand that matters. And And he did. So, you know, it just feeds on itself. It's quite incredible. Just as an so, aside, just as an aside, there's a, a pair of um, sneakers, as you call them, or trainers, as they say over here, and tackies, as they say in South Africa. There was a pair of sneakers on auction for one million US dollars. And because they were worn by a chap called Kanye West at the Grammys in 2008, a million dollars for a pair of uh, used smelly shoes. Isn't it ridiculous? That defies belief, doesn't it? It's quite incredible. It does. Um, <laughs> okay, so then, then look, but other uh, sectors to look at. I mean, the, the, the travel sector has been totally bombed. Um, but if you, I was listening to the, uh, the report by uh, the CEO of Accor, the French uh, hotel company, Sebastien Bazin, about a month ago. And he said, look, uh, they're actually very confident about the, uh, the, the, the situation now in hotels and aviation. Um, it's going to bounce back. Uh, not so much in corporate travel. That's going to take a long, long time to recover because the bean counters um, in the corporates have got accustomed to uh, getting people to do their meetings on Zoom. Yes. And it'll take, it'll take a while before people say, no, hold on, you know what? We actually need to go and meet face-to-face. And that will happen. That will happen again. I've got to, I don't have any doubts about that, but it will take time. Meanwhile, the leisure side of things, the demand, people are champing at the bit. I mean, in the UK, they're... Physically, they're, they're legally prevented from traveling up until at least the 17th of May. And then beyond that, it's, it's debatable as to what will happen. It'll be, a, it'll be a slow recovery to begin with. And then I think it'll be like, is it, um, was it Ernest Hemingway talking about uh, going bust? It started slowly at first and then quickly. Mm. And I think the same thing will, will happen. It'll be slowly at first and then very, very rapidly. People want to travel. It comes back to your original point. People, I think, have had enough of this pandemic. They want to get back to normality. So there's an area that I think will do well. Already in the U.S., you know, the, the travel industry is, is, has, is picked up dramatically, internally, obviously, because the people can't really do much in the way of traveling overseas yet. So there's another area that I think is going to do well. Um, but it's taken a long time, obviously, and, and a lot of these companies have been sailing very close to the wind. So, and there are certain countries that might not make it, you know. I mean, Thailand, for example, I watched an insert on Sky TV the other day. They are really in deep, deep trouble. If you have another big 
third wave or fourth wave um, of global lockdowns, then Thailand could be in, in serious long-term trouble. Well, Cuba, for example, Cuba's economy is on its knees because no one can travel there. And it's a, a tourism-based economy. Okay, it's got a lot of sugarcane, but it's, uh, tourism has overtaken. And I was seeing a, a a program about about Cuba. It's in dire, dire straits. You talk about travel, and I'm sorry, I'm going off at another tangent, but it's um, fascinating stuff, is that Air France, uh, Air France KLM, the Air France leg, is saying to everybody, we're, we're stopping these flights now because we want to reduce our carbon emissions. So they're stopping flights, for example, the short-haul flights from, say, from Paris to Lyon or Paris to... Toulouse or places like that. No, maybe Toulouse is actually a little bit too far. But uh, short-haul flights are being cut completely by Air France or being cut back drastically because they don't want CO2 emissions. So again, that's an example, not of the COVID uh, virus, but of the way that people's attitudes are changing and therefore changing the economies of the world. Oh, no, you're right. And that leads neatly onto your... You're, you're, you're another um, thing that you mentioned, I mean, you, you talked obliquely about Elon Musk and electric vehicles and stuff like that. Yes. It's not beyond the bounds of possibility, and it, they're already there, funnily enough. You can't, yeah, the electric planes have been trialed yeah, in Europe. I'm trying to think whereabouts it was. I saw it recently. Mm. Um, to start with, they're kind of they're still propeller jobs, electric propellers, um, but they do actually work. So you've got that. I mean, and you can get jet engines running on a variety of non-polluting um, substances that, uh, you know, don't chuck CO2 into the atmosphere, notably hydrogen, you know, green hydrogen and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people have been made more aware of the, the impact of climate change because of the pandemic. I think it's, it's, it's raised awareness. Um, is Tesla worth the kind of ridiculous um, PE that it's trading on? No, of course not. Um, but has Elon Musk paved the way? Absolutely. He's yeah, um, genius. You, you probably see it in Rotterdam. I mean, you, you, you must see charging stations everywhere. You must see electric vehicles. I'm looking out my window now, and I can see a Tesla plugged in to a charging station outside my window. Yeah. And I'm not in a very a particularly salubrious area of Rotterdam. It's just a normal area. People plug their cars in. It's, it, it's a normal yeah. sight. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in the village of Tain, near about 10 miles away from me, um, there are numerous uh, charging stations. You go to the local Asda, for example, you charge it in free, gratis, and for nothing. Mm. Imagine that in Scotland, getting free electricity, eh? So you can actually <laughs> um, charge your, your cars up for nothing. That obviously won't happen, you know, once they become far more popular. But, you see, I think for the South African listeners, that uh, must be a bit strange because electric vehicles have not taken off in, in, in South Africa as yet. Maybe you don't have the economies of scale, whatever, I don't know. Well, there's but no infrastructure. You can't plug it in anywhere. You yeah. can't be, exactly. I'd love to exactly. have a car. I don't think there is a Tesla in South Africa unless someone who is um, an absolute fanatic has imported one. But you can't plug it in anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. So the other problem in, in terms of getting mass acceptance, Lindsay, is the high initial cost. They are prohibitively expensive to begin with. Never mind the fact that it's um, uh, the, the the range is still very very limited. So it's mainly aimed at I think um, urban commuters. Then then it's fine, no problems. But if you wanted to go from say uh, Edinburgh to, to London, you would have to make at least two stops. I think. Um, yes. Having said that, you can you can charge the things pretty quickly. You can get pretty much up to a full charge within about half an hour. So you. 
So I'll go into your local uh, motorway CAF, uh, stick it into the charger, and then off you off you go again. So, yeah, I think as long as you're prepared to to put up with at least half an hour, you'll probably get the the, the charge there. But I think the prices do have to come down significantly. But that will happen as you get more and more people. It's 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 some of these cyclical things. It's um, it um, it, it, it feeds on itself. So as more and more people buy them, the price comes down, and you get the economies of scale coming through, but not there yet. No, not yet. Uh, do you have a motor car? Do you own one? I don't actually drive. No, I don't need to. No, nor do I. I don't either. I haven't got a car. I don't need a car. I'm in a country where there's... You're in a different situation. You're in the north of Scotland where you just walk down the pub or to the local Asda or something or get on your bicycle. I get on my bike, literally. Exactly. Yeah. That's, it. that's what I do. I get on my bike and I go. And if, if I need to go somewhere further or the weather's foul, I get on public transport, which is something that South Africa needs to do. But that's, an, that's another story. So what conclusion have we come to about markets now? Do the changes in our behaviour that are obviously going to unfold as lockdown is decreased and diminished totally and we get used to the fact we have to have a jab every couple of years are we going to go back to the old ways or are we going to embrace the new ways that have um <laughs> that have been forced upon us over the last year or so a bit of both i think we're going to they're going to, we're going to adapt to the new ways of doing things so for example you're going to you are going to see office space being decreased dramatically more and more people are going to work from home without a shadow of a doubt you see what HSBC are doing. They're culling 35,000 people from their global workforce, and they've told their, their, their greedy, fat execs, uh, no more offices for you, my lads. You're going to be going to um, having a hot desk from now on. Quite right, too. And that must have gone down like a lead balloon, uh, you know, with a kind of petty bourgeoisie that inhabit uh, the sort of rarefied levels of the executive floor. And... Um, so that, but again, that they've got away with that because of the new environment that we're talking about. So people will work from home to an extent, maybe three or four days a week. They'll come in once a week for a meeting, and that'll be about it. So the demand for office space will decrease dramatically. And whether, um, whether that's in um, South Africa or the rest of the world doesn't matter. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to happen. So I think property companies have got, uh, are going to have to rethink the strategies. Um, I think retail is going to change. More and more people have got used to buying online, and they like it, and they're going to be less and less uh, buying. You know, when, even when you get back to normal um, buying um, on the high street, they're going to do more and more online buying, uh, especially when it comes to the likes of clothes and stuff like that, provided you've got the ability, if something doesn't fit, to send it back quickly and easily and get a nice refund. But that's, that's all kind of getting built into the system now. So that's going to change. So there are going to be certain changes like those and, and, and many, many others. So it isn't going to be going back to the, the kind of normal um, that, that, that we knew pre-pandemic. There's definitely going to be changes. But I think people are definitely at the point, Lindsay, where they, they desperately seek uh, human interaction because this just living at home and doing Zoom and Teams and stuff like that, it's fine, it's very efficient. Humans are kind of, they're gregarious beings. They, they need other people. Um, and that we're, they're going to have to get back to that to an extent. So it won't be, I think, quite what they had before, but it'll be, it'll be a mixture of what we've had uh, in, in, in the lockdown situation 
and uh, the old normal. I think the point is here that we neither of us know, and nobody knows, and it'll just evolve over the next few months, even yeah, maybe even yeah, the next yeah. few weeks as people come out. I mean, you've seen the people in the United Kingdom, for example, uh, queuing up to go to Primark, which doesn't have an online presence. So they're queuing up there and they're buying those clothes, which are which are fine clothes. I mean, they're the bottom end of the market, but you know you can get some good bargains there. And um, we'll just see how that pans out. Over the next few months, as people say, well, you know, the novelty's over now. I don't need to go out or go back to my old habits. So it'll, it'll be absolutely fascinating. Chris Gilmore, thank you very much. Uh, you're in the north of Scotland. Just tell us exactly where you are, please. Uh, near, near a place called Tane and Glenmorangie Distillery on the Tarbet Peninsula. Oh, gosh. Fantastic. Gosh, I'm jealous now. I suddenly feel like going out for a whiskey, but I can't do that until um, next next um, Wednesday, the April the 28th in the <laughs> Netherlands. Chris Gilmore, thank you very much. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.